quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Now, your depreciation recapture is calculated based on how much depreciation you've taken. So I'm sitting here saying, hey, front load all your depreciation, take all these deductions up front. And investors will come back to me and say, well, wait, Eric, doesn't this just mean a bigger tax bill upon sale? Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed, and I'm here with Eric Oliver. Eric is joining us from Salt Lake City, where we just had the best ever conference 2023, and we'll be back there next year as well. Fabulous city, great downtown area for hosting our conference. Eric is the Vice President of Business Development at Cost Segregation Authority, which was represented very well at the conference as well. His personal portfolio includes a few short-term rentals and long-term rentals. He's also a passive investor in Salt Lake City area micro-apartments. Eric, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on with Cost Segregation Authority? Yeah, thanks for having me, Slocum. I appreciate you having me on. So kind of my background is my degrees in accounting. Going through college, I wanted to get through college as quickly as I could. Math always came easy. Hated writing papers, so I figured I would either be a finance major or accounting major. Majored in accounting, got into business development, sales. That job took me to the East Coast where I lived in New York for a number of years. And then about seven years ago, I was looking to come back out west to Salt Lake City, came across this job, always interested in real estate investing. I had heard of cost segregation, didn't really fully understand what it was. And as I started doing my research, I came across this company. I thought it would be a great opportunity. I've been doing cost segregation studies for seven years now. I'm currently the vice president of business development. My main role within the company is going out, training not only investors, but also CPAs, on the importance of cost segregation, how it works, how it should be utilized, et cetera. So that's kind of what got me here. Love doing it, love working with investors to help save tax dollars. Nice. For those of our listeners who are not as familiar, can you explain what a cost segregation is and what it does for real estate investors? Sure. That's a great question. So cost segregation really is just accelerated depreciation. So one of the great benefits of owning real estate is the ability to take depreciation expenses or a non-cash expense against your income. Typically, real estate gets depreciated over either 27 and a half years for residential, 39 years for commercial. So just to make the math easy, if you have a $39 million commercial building, essentially you would get a million dollar write-off every year for the next 39 years. Well, I may not own my building in 39 years. I want my deductions now. And so how do we accelerate those? And the way we do that is through an engineering-based study where we come in, identify different components of the building, and reclassify those into shorter asset lives. For example, when you buy a $39 million office building, you're not just buying the land and the walls. You're buying some flooring. You're buying some carpet, some countertops, some cabinets, some window coverings. You're buying a parking lot, curbs, gutters, asphalt. All those different components, according to the IRS, should be depreciated at a faster schedule than 39 years. The problem, Slocum, is we give our closing statement to our CPA. The CPA says, I don't know how much the parking lot's worth. I know you paid $39 million for this building. They're not able to put the value to those different components. 
So that's where you would hire a cost segregation company to segregate the cost into those different buckets, which allows us to depreciate at a faster rate. And there's a number of reasons, Slocum, you want those deductions. There's time value of money, there's inflation, there's cash flow. There's a number of reasons why you want those deductions sooner. And that's usually done through a cost segregation study where we're reallocating those costs into shorter asset lives. One of the major topics of conversation within cost segregations recently has been bonus depreciation. Can you explain what bonus depreciation is or what it has been and what's happening with it right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So bonus depreciation, the IRS has utilized bonus depreciation for a number of years now, and they utilize it to stimulate the economy. So when the economy is not doing well, they'll increase the bonus percentage. When it's doing well, they'll decrease the bonus percentage. Bonus depreciation in 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So back in 2017, Donald Trump was president. As many of your listeners know, Donald Trump owns real estate. When he was revising the tax code, it was very favorable to real estate investors. And a couple things happened. Back in 2017, bonus depreciation only applied to brand new assets, meaning you had to build a brand new building in order to take advantage of bonus. And at the time, it was only 50% bonus. Let me back up a step and explain what that 50% means. That means if you were to go buy, let's say, a piece of equipment, you bought a new million-dollar bulldozer, and that was a brand-new bulldozer, you got to take 50% of the depreciation in the first year. The other 50% gets spread out over the useful life of that bulldozer. Well, with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, a few things changed. One is they got rid of the provision that it had to be brand-new. They added a few words to the tax code that said it just has to be new to you the investor or the taxpayer. That's a huge difference. And they changed it from a 50% bonus to a 100% bonus. So what that means, Slocum, is now I can go out and buy a million-dollar duplex, have a cost segregation study done where they usually will segregate around 30%. So let's call it $300,000 on a million dollars. That $300,000 that gets allocated in those short asset lives I get to take 100% of that or 100% bonus depreciation in the first year. Typically, I'd have to split that up and depreciate my five-year assets over five years, my seven-year assets over seven years, my 15-year assets over 15 years. But under the current tax, I get 100% of that in the first year. Now, that goes for anything that was placed into service between 927 of 17, so the end of 2017, to 1231 of 2022. We're kind of in a phase out period right now where any assets placed into service in 2023, the bonus percentage has dropped to 80%, which means you would get 80% of those deductions in the first year, the other 20% spread out over the useful life. So very favorable for real estate investors right now. If you own real estate and you're not taking advantage of bonus depreciation and you're paying the IRS tax dollars, definitely look into it because it's so favorable right now that a lot of investors should be paying very little to, if any, federal tax. In 2023, we're at 80% bonus depreciation. And then I believe for quote unquote new to you, but not new construction assets or newly developed or built assets, it drops 20% each year, correct? So the bonus depreciation in 2024 will be 60, then 40, then 20, then zero. Yeah, 2027, it completely phases out to zero. However, Slocum, I will say, There was some serious talks last fall within Congress to extend the 100% bonus into 2023, simply because of the way the economy was shaping up. So this year in 2023, it kind of depends. They can always go back and extend the 100% bonus. 
But you're absolutely right. Currently, it's scheduled to phase out completely in 2027 when it phases out to zero. Eric, my experience with cost segregations has been since 2017 during this bonus depreciation time. Let's imagine a future where bonus depreciation does actually go away. When there is no bonus depreciation, what sort of impact should I be able to see on my federal taxes? That's a great question. So bonus depreciation really put cost segregation on steroids. So we were doing cost segregation long before there was bonus depreciation. So you're still going to want to accelerate the depreciation on your assets by getting a cost segregation study done. Even if 2027, it phases out to zero, no new administration comes in, makes any changes, you're still going to want to accelerate it. We're talking about taking one thirty-ninth of a deduction versus moving 30% of that up into a shorter asset life. So it's still very favorable to do cost segregation. Like I had mentioned before, I may not even own the property in 39 years. My investment strategy is not to hold the property for 39 years. So I want to maximize and front load as much of that depreciation, whether I get bonus or not, I still want to front load it. All bonus does is give you a bigger portion of it in year one versus years two, three, four, and five. So even when bonus phases out, Slocum, I think it's still going to be very important to take advantage of cost segregation and still front load those deductions so that you can give a higher return to your investors, create cash flow, pay down debt. There's a number of reasons why you want those tax savings now versus in the future. I want to make sure I understand you here, Eric. As bonus depreciation goes out, assuming that it does, effectively what it does is it takes all of that bonus depreciation you could take in year one and spreads it over years one through five? One through five for the five-year assets, one through 15 over the 15-year assets. But yeah, it spreads it out. You're still front-loading it, but instead of getting such a huge number in year one, you're spreading it out years one through 15 based on what we find within the building, what we're able to segregate. Gotcha. So investors with a five-year hold plan or longer are still seeing the lion's share of the benefit from cost segregation. And one last piece here before we transition the conversation a bit, Eric, I know there is this thing called depreciation recapture, and I've personally gotten cost segregation reports from three different agencies who explain it to me differently. And when my CPA explains it, my ADHD kicks in and I start playing with whatever's in my hands. Is there a succinct way to explain how the depreciation recapture comes into play with the cost seg? Yeah, that's the question we get asked most often by not only our investors, but CPAs as well. So the whole idea behind cost segregation, you do have to pay some of this back in the form of depreciation recapture. So when you sell an asset, you pay back two types of tax. You pay back your capital gains tax and you pay back depreciation recapture. Now, your depreciation recapture is calculated based on how much depreciation you've taken. So I'm sitting here saying, hey, front load all your depreciation, take all these deductions up front, and investors will come back to me and say, well, wait, Eric, doesn't this just mean a bigger tax bill upon sell? And the answer is no, and I'll explain to you why here in a second. But the idea is you're taking your deduction against your ordinary income. So let's say I'm in a 37% tax bracket at a federal level. I'm going to take these deductions against my 37% income bracket. I'm going to pay it back at a recapture rate that caps out at 25% or a capital gains rate that caps out at 20% and save the spread. So even if I end up paying it all back, 
we have a rate arbitrage between the deduction I'm taking against my ordinary income and the recapture rate. In actuality, you're not paying it all back, Slocum. You're only paying a portion of it back, and I'll explain to you why. If I were to buy a building for a million dollars and sell it five years later for two million, if I don't do a cost segregation study, I'm telling the IRS that everything I bought five years ago has doubled in value and it's now worth two million, right? Bought it for a million, sold it for two million. Everything doubled in value. Well, that's not the case. My dirty, nasty carpet that I've had for five years isn't worth double what I paid for it. But if I don't have a cost sake study done, there's no way for me to pull out the carpet. Carpet, according to the IRS, is a five-year asset. So what is your five-year asset worth, Slocum, after you've owned it for five years? It's worth zero. has no value. Your carpet's fully depreciated. So you should be allocating the sales price, that million dollars of increase from I bought it for a million, sold it for two million, That million dollars of increase had nothing to do with your dirty, nasty carpet. It had to do with the land and the walls. So shifting your gain or allocating your sales price to the right bucket upon sell creates another permanent tax saving. So in summary, yes, you do have to pay some of it back. You pay it back at a lower rate on a lesser amount. And that's important. That lesser amount is dependent upon how long you've owned it. Lower rate at a lesser amount and save the spread. So We even see property, Slocum, where they may only hold it for a year, maximize the deductions in year one, turn around and pay back some of those deductions in year two when they sell it. But we're creating a permanent tax savings because of that rate arbitrage. Eric, that was very clear and succinct. Thank you. We'll get back to the show with a first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you a real estate investor looking to break into the multifamily investing space? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 12th through the 14th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from over 60 high-level apartment investors while networking with more than 700 additional investors. If that's not enough for you, A-Rod, yep, Alex Rodriguez. 12-time Major League Baseball All-Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets. We'll be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award-winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in-person event before they're gone. Go to MFINCon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit MFINCON.com today. Use the promo code BESTEVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's MFINCON.com. Transitioning the conversation a bit here, Eric. I want to talk about the trends that you're seeing in the cost segregation space. Really, I think I'm seeing trends in the cost segregation space and you're an insider and I want to ask you some questions. When did you start working with cost segregation authority and when did you become aware of this niche within accounting and taxation? I started back in 2016. So in 2016, this was prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. It was pre-steroids. Pre-steroids, right. Yes, this was all natural. So prior to that, cost segregation at the time was really only for your large commercial investors. So you had to have a million dollar plus asset to be ordered to take advantage of cost segregation for a couple of reasons. One, the benefit wasn't as high as it is now with bonus. And two, the fees were higher than they are now. Less people. These were higher than they are now. Yeah. So less people in the game. Your average study might have cost you 10 grand, but you had to have a million dollar asset to justify that type of study or that type of cost. With bonus depreciation, 
it opened up cost segregation to a whole nother level of investors, everything from single family homes on up. Now, oftentimes will make sense based on bonus depreciation and the changes to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. You're leading into one of my follow-up questions already, Eric. I know that the demand for cost segregation reports has increased. It sounds like you're saying, though, that the cost of getting a cost segregation report has gone down in the last several years? I would say industry-wide, yes. And I think that's just because there's more information out there about cost segregation. There's more companies coming into the space and with technology and stuff. One of the great things that came out of COVID, not a lot of great things came out of COVID, but one of the great things that came out of COVID was the ability to do our site visits virtually. So we used to do every site visit on every asset. We would send one of our engineers from Salt Lake to Florida to view the apartment complex in Florida. Now we're able to do a lot of those site visits virtually, which has lowered the cost dramatically for both us and our clients. So we don't do all site visits virtually, but some of them that we can justify, it's made it great. So I think with the virtual site visits, with more players in the industry, with some of the better technology we're using, costs I have seen come down in terms of cost segregation studies. But the amount of studies has dramatically gone up from more education, more investor summits, more conferences like you guys put on here in Salt Lake a week ago, where we're teaching investors about cost segregation. It's becoming more and more prevalent in the industry. Let's take it back to supply and demand like good Econ 101 students. The demand for cost segregations skyrocketed. It went on steroids. The supply of cost segregation companies and the availability of cost segregations also rose. And on the net, you project that they cost less due to the number of new companies able to do them. My curiosity here is what's going to happen as bonus depreciation phases out over the next few years, assuming that it does phase out, Eric. Do you see the cost of a cost segregation study going down because the demand decreases while there are still a higher number of players in the space? Absolutely. That's something that we're very cautious of here at our firm. Bonus depreciation, like I said, it's made cost segregation important for all levels of investors. Cost segregation used to only be for, like I said, those high level, high dollar worth properties. And that's a misconception in the industry. Even to this day, a lot of CPAs will tell you, unless you have a million dollar asset, cost segregation doesn't pencil out. And that's just not the case because of bonus depreciation. But once bonus depreciation does phase out, it will no longer make sense to do cost segregation on your smaller properties, which means there's going to be a consolidation in our industry. Prices will come down, and I do think there'll be a consolidation in terms of how many companies are out there. We're already seeing a consolidation in our industry as we speak. Eric, I do feel compelled to ask. You own some short-term rentals and long-term rentals there in Salt Lake City, and you're invested passively in some micro-apartments. Are all of those properties cost-segregated? Yes, they are. As I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware, I'm a W-2 employee here at Costeg Authority. So part of my reasoning for getting into the short-term space was specifically to utilize the ability to use my deductions against my active income. So I was faced with a tax liability in 2022 that I knew I was either going to pay the IRS or I was going to go buy a short-term rental. So I chose to go buy a short-term rental, do a cost study. I was able to create a $140,000 deduction 
my down payment was 80,000. I'm going to get 70,000 of that back in the form of tax savings. And so absolutely, I practice what I preach. Cost segregation, I got to be honest with you, Slocum, is the easiest sales job I've ever had because it's just a math equation. It makes sense or it doesn't, right? I don't have to convince you. You're going to pay the IRS 40,000 or pay me 4,000, you decide. So sometimes the math equation makes sense, sometimes it doesn't, but it's simply just a math equation of rates and arbitrage and, and time value of money is really all it is. Eric, last question here. I'm going to hijack the podcast for my own interests. You mentioned sure. short-term rental. I acquired a property in late 2021 that I took my time renovating over 2022. And I wasn't sure which exit. We're talking about a very small single family, very close to where I live here in Cincinnati. I took my time with it. I knew that I bought right and I had other bigger projects. I'm an apartment investor. This is a small single family home. I ended up renovating permits and everything, spent way more than I purchased the property for in the renovations. I ended up turning it into a single family rental that was, I guess you would say, put into service just a couple of months ago in 2023. So I bought it in 21. I renovated in 22. I started renting it as a short-term rental in 23. For the sake of my taxes, what year did I put that property into service? For what year would I get the cost tag? 2023. In-service is kind of a gray area. And you want to always run this past your CPA because I've seen CPAs treat it differently in all different circumstances. But in general, in-service, according to the IRS, means available for its intended use or purpose. So if it was still being renovated in 2022, still under construction, and it wasn't available, my definition is as long as I can rent it, it doesn't necessarily have to be rented. But if there was an opportunity for you to rent it in 2022, let's say you finished construction in November, but it wasn't until January that you found a tenant. Technically, I think you have grounds to say that property was available for its intended use or purpose back in 2022 meaning you could do the cost sake study still today, you could do it right now and take advantage of those deductions on your 2022 tax return. But if it was half torn up at the end of December and you really didn't finalize everything, it was non-livable until January of this year, then your in-service date or when it was available for its intended use or purpose would be January of this year, which means you would do the cost sake study for 2023. This is my own deal, so I could dive down the rabbit hole, of course, but I think that's the answer that adds the most value to our best ever listeners. Quick question as we're wrapping up here, Eric, where can our best ever listeners get in touch with you? The best place, I'm on LinkedIn. My name is just Eric. It's E-R-I-K, last name's Oliver, O-L-I-V-E-R. Always reach me through LinkedIn. Also our website. Our website is www.costsagauthority.com. And my contact information's on there, my email, my cell phone number. Feel free to use this as a resource, guys. They've got a great thing going on over here at The Best Ever. You guys are great investors, great network of folks. Please use this as a resource. We don't bill by the hour. We see all different types of scenarios, work with all different types of CPAs across the industry. So if you guys ever have any questions on depreciation, now don't call me and ask me about child tax credits or earned business income because I don't know anything about that stuff. But if you have a depreciation question in regards to real estate, 
Definitely use us as a resource, guys. We'd love to answer any questions you may have, but that's the best way to get a hold of me. Eric's links are in the show notes. Eric, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.